day one of this thing called the Christian life, and we're going to talk a lot about unpacking that, day one. I, I don't know what you were led to believe, and we'll get into some of that, but that's what we committed to doing. We committed to saying, here is the entirety of my life. Here's the entirety of my life. Um, so put yourself in the shoes of the first disciples. Um, we're in the midst of launching the series called Follow Me. I have no idea how long it's going to go. This is what we're accustomed to, right? Since post Leave of absence, Peter. I have no idea. I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? All right. All right. So um, put yourself in the shoes of the first followers of Jesus. So for three years, they live with him. They eat with him. They do life with him and all kinds of things. Because for many of them, they are believing that he is the Messiah. And they have, of course, a limited understanding. They think he is going to be this conquering military general who's going to throw, overthrow the filthy Romans and establish Israel as a new world power. So they, they follow him and all of a sudden their dreams are dashed and their hopes are shattered as they see him being crucified like a common criminal on a Roman cross. But then, of course, something unexpected happens, and that is Jesus defeats sin, and he rises from the dead, which I assure you threw them off, because none of them believed that that was what was going to happen. But as Jesus rises from the dead, now all of a sudden, from a limited no understanding, they begin to get some understanding that his death and resurrection was more than just Israel and world power, that a new day was dawning. Kingdom of God was at hand. God is in the process of healing and restoring everything. And it's in the midst of this that their excitement rises, right? As, as, as now going, Jesus' mission is back on track. Now it's not only back on track, it's better than ever. Like he's resurrected from the dead. He's defeated Satan and sin. So they gather on this mountain to hear how Jesus and I was going to continue his mission to heal, restore all things and they're waiting with anticipation of how Jesus is going to do this. And Jesus comes and says a verse that is so familiar, you're going to hear it and you're going to be like, yeah, I've been there, done that. They're gathered on this mountain. Put yourself in shoes of the disciples. And they're waiting with anticipation. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's doing it. He's... And Jesus says, Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, Go. And the go ye, that's uh, King James. Anybody have a King James version? So this is go ye. In other words, Jesus says, see, you, you're so familiar with this passage that it's not hidden you. They're saying, how are you going to do it, Jesus? How, you, you've risen from the dead. Your mission to restore. And Jesus says, now, what? You. To which I think, Jesus, some of the disciples are like, what do you mean go ye? You mean go ye. You mean you go? He just said, no, no, no. Here's my plan. You go. You are my plan. You are my strategy. You are my instruments. Now, can I just pause here? Because I know a church like ours, and maybe this generation, we love hearing that we are God's plan to restore, renew all things. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? In a culture of meat, that sells really well. So some of us are like, whoa, me? But a lot of us are like, yeah, me. So let me just stop for a minute and just say a couple of things, okay? God doesn't need us. The kingdom doesn't need you. Can I get an amen? Acts 17, Paul says what? And God is not served by human hands as if he, say it, needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything in it. The kingdom doesn't need. If you don't understand this about Christianity, you are going to go out there and wreck things. Why? Because one, you are going to think that you are the solution, you are the answer, and it will lead to burnout. 
Because you're going to try to earn your way into the kingdom or earn your way to God's acceptance. Or worse yet, you become that self-righteous, arrogant Christian that's complaining about how I'm doing and nobody else is doing. The essence of Christianity begins here, words of Jesus. Mark 10. For even the Son of God himself came, what? Not to be served, but to serve. Come on, you guys. In the last 10 years, I've seen more burnout among Christian activists, Christian leaders than I have literally in 30 years of ministry. If you do not anchor yourself in the essence of the God, in the essence of the gospel is what? Jesus doesn't need us. Check this out. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. So much so that he says, I am going to do what only I can do to have a relationship with you and to empower you for this mission. That is, I'm going to live the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died. And when you repent, that is, stop from where you're going, turn around and run the other way and believe in my work, check this out, you become accepted. You receive, you're received into the kingdom to be a sons and daughters, not because of you working for God, but trusting in his good work for us. Is that good news? The, uh, you need to anchor yourself in that. I'm telling you, otherwise you're going to get burned out. You're going to get self-righteous. And can we just all agree that the world doesn't need any more burned out and self-righteous Christians? So here's the question. Do you love the mission of Jesus more than you love Jesus? Are you so busy serving God that you're missing God? I'm telling you, the best servants for Jesus are those who allow Jesus to serve them. Serve them. Why? When he serves you, you don't do it out of some lack or to prove myself or to, uh, you do it out of love. It's an overflow of love. And you realize, I don't have to do this. I get to. I want to. I say this all the time. I don't have to love my wife. I get to. Big difference, yeah? So are you allowing Jesus to serve you? Come on. Are you allowing Jesus to serve you? Are you abiding in him, allowing that to anchor your service? All right. Matthew 28. Therefore, go. And now listen. Context. Jesus is about to unveil his plan to restore, redeem all things. And we'll get more into this. He's not talking about how do we get more people into heaven. How do we, he's talking about his plan to restore the kingdom of God on earth. And he says, therefore, go. Do you know what comes next? Say it if you know what. Therefore, go. Here it is. And make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next verse. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the... What's his plan? Say it with me. What? Make disciples. Let me be really clear. He's not saying, are you going to lead a Bible study? He's not saying, are you going to lead a life group? He's not saying, are you having coffee with people who are in need? He's not saying, are you being a really good Christian as a doctor, nurse, engineer? Are you really a good Christian in your workplace? Those are all really good, listen, really good things that could lead to discipleship making. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, go and what? Make disciples. I need you to feel the weight of this. Because many of us are doing all kinds of really, really good things. But in the midst of all the good things, the question I need to ask is, are we making disciples? So here's what it means. That means anchored by the gospel, everything that we do as a church, everything that you and I do, should have at the forefront of our mind, what? Are we, what? Making disciples. Justice work is really, really good. But as we do justice work, you and I are asking, am I, what? Say it with me. Making disciples. Work of racial reconciliation is powerful, needed. But as we do, we're asking what? Am I? Making disciples. Parenting is godly good work, but are we what? Making disciples. Culture renewal is really good work. Are we what? Making. And the list goes on and on and on. Are we making, say it with me, disciples? Not my words. And by the 
away when Jesus said this. The disciples weren't going, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Make it. What? what? Why would we do that? Or what? Did, what? Or how do we do that? None of them are asking that. Do you know why? Because Jesus for three years had modeled for them what he was now asking them to do. For three years, Jesus had modeled for none of them. <laughs> why? What? How? They're going, if anything, we'll see. They're going, us? You think us? I have a simple rule of thumb I try to live by. That is, don't expect from others what you're not willing to emulate yourself. Do not expect from others what you're not. And Jesus never did that. When he said make disciples, he's literally going, remember what I did with for three years? Now I need you to do that with others. Here's the challenge, though. The challenge is, see, see, the word disciple, discipleship is so it's so old. It's so familiar. If you grew up in church, like, by the way, if you're not a Christian, this is a great time for you because you're not going to be messed up by the church like some of us were, okay? So discipleship, you're like, oh, well, that, that makes sense. Like, discipleship is fraught with all kinds of things, right? For many of us, the reason why the word disciple, discipleship, we're like, nah, is because of, well, Bruce Lee. <laughs> if you go, who's Bruce Lee? I can't help you. And I don't know if you should be at our church, frankly. No, I'm just kidding. Here's a, here's a clip that came to my mind, okay? I don't know. I don't know if we can show it. Here's a clip that came to my mind. When I think of discipleship, because I'm a church kid. I grew up in church, okay? It's... Kick me. Kick me. What was that? An exhibition? We need emotional content. Try again. I said emotional content, not anger. Now try again with me. did it feel to you? Let me think. Don't think. <laughs> feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Do you understand? Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. That's it. So that's a bit of my culture for you, okay? See, I grew up in an environment where discipleship was like that. Hey, it was this thing where the discipler was this way older, way more mature, way more God. Like, I'm looking, I'm going, oh, my gosh, I can never. And I'm just little, I don't know anything. I'm not nobody. And it was just kind of this massive gap, massive chasm. And walked around going, well, if that's what it means to disciple somebody, I'm not qualified. I don't know if I'm not with the Bible. I've got issues in my life I need to get over. Well, who am I to teach anybody? Or I don't want to tell somebody what to do. And the list goes on and on and on. Truth be told, some of us, the reason why we struggle with the word disciple, discipleship, I, let me just get personal here, is one, we grew up in a church where discipleship was via a truncated gospel, wasn't it? How many of us, it was a new community that began to expand our version, vision of what the gospel was? And get amen. And so we're like, I don't want anything. That was disciple. Discipleship was just about going to heaven. Discipleship was just Bible said discipleship. So we're just like disciple, discipleship. No, and some, for some of us, frankly, and this is, for some of us, the word discipleship conjures up image of a discipler who in the 
who claimed to represent God but mis- misrepresented God. And so when we think of disciple, discipleship or a church, we're fraught with emotions like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there, Peter. Let me just share my story with you, okay? And I'm going to do that a little bit here today because this is very tied personally. I'm not exaggerating when I say that I would not be who I am today if not for disciplers in my life. Listen, you know how a constant word in the community talking about unlearning things as a way of spiritual formation, not just learning things? We need to deconstruct things, right? And for a lot of us, we carry into our memories discipleship that's with family of origin and church and all these things. And a big challenge for us is going to be unpacking. And so for me, I have two memories when I think of discipleship. One is great, great memories of folks, and some of them were older, wiser, more mature, who, listen to this, did life with me, walked with me intentionally, systematically, organically. And they taught me what they were learning about Jesus. And I'm grateful for these men and women who did that. And by the way, not all of them were way more mature. Way. A lot of them were basically just starting to read Mark chapter 6 as I was starting Mark chapter 1. They're just two chapters ahead. And weren't way out, you know, theologians, scholars. They're people who just, and, and there's, this, there's this amazing passage. Again, I'm just deconstructing some things for you. Amazing passage in John 15, 15. Listen to what Jesus says. He's talking about disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. And then he says this, but I call you what? I call you friends. You guys, the greatest disciple who ever walked the face of the earth says to the disciples, I don't just look at discipleship as this hierarchical top-down, I'm the expert, I'm the rabbi teacher. He says, no, discipleship is also about friends walking together in the course of life. Is that good news? It's like Jesus' discipleship is not just about teacher, Lord, master. that's a vital part of it. We'll get into that. He says, I called you friends. And, and then he says what? For everything that I learned from my father, I have mapped my own to you. What a crisp discipleship definition. Essence of discipleship is this. Is whatever I'm learning from Jesus, I teach you. Discipleship. Whatever I'm learning from Jesus, and listen, without any hint of superiority, self-righteousness, arrogance, because if that's you, don't disciple anybody. But without any hint of superior self-righteousness, discipleship is about I'm learning from Jesus and I am just simply teaching you. And I have men and women who on life on life, on a regular basis, taught what they were learning from Jesus to me. And they did this in the context of intimate relationship with both truth and love. Truth says, I will always be honest with you no matter what. Love says, I will always love you no matter what. And I have men and women, and I'm a product of that, who discipled me. But I also, listen, have memories of discipleship that I want to run from. Because I also see in my life where discipleship was hierarchical, top-down, sometimes spiritually abusive. Uh, it was legalistic rules-oriented. And, and, and it was all about information and knowledge impartation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Discipleship was all about them going, I'm just going to teach you information. And I'm just going to say this once. Most of us are educated well beyond our obedience. I'm going to say it again. Most of us that grew up in church in the Western church are educated well. We know our heads are like this big. There is so much. the, The tragedy of the Western modern church is that we have equated knowledge with spiritual maturity, and eventually knowledge replaced obedience. And so we know a bunch of things that we have no intention to do anything about. This is why I don't want to preach this sermon. Because some of y'all are like, I'm taking notes. I'm learning stuff. And you actually fool yourself into thinking that you're inspired, that you learn something, and you walk out of your change. You have not. You know what we've done? And a pastor did the silly illustration, so if it falls flat, you blame it on him. Here's what we've done with like Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. Here's what church people did, right? It's like me going to Sophie. Sophie, babe, please go clean your room. It's a mess. 
Two hours later, I go, Sophie, did you clean your room? Sophie goes, no, but I memorized what you said. You said, Daddy, go, Sophie, and clean your room. I could even say it in Greek and Hebrew. Check that out. Two hours later, Sophie, did you go clean your room? No, Daddy, but remember, I memorized it, know it in Greek and Hebrew, and, 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 and. I gathered all my girlfriends, and we did a Bible study. We all were like, what do you think he meant when he said, go clean? <laughs> clean. What do you think he meant by clean? You think emphasis on clean, or was it emphasis on clean your? I think it was clean. Do you think he meant to vacuum? Do you think he meant to dust? Do you think he meant to go clean? Come on, somebody. What have we done? What have we done, church? What have we done? I love this quote by Peter Marshall, one of the first chaplains to the United States Senate. You know what he said? I wonder what would happen if we all agreed to read one of the Gospels until we came to a place that told us to do something. We then went out to do it, and only after we had done it, we began reading again. Holy cow, you know what would happen in Chicago? A revival would break out. The kingdom of God would come, and lives would be transformed. Can I get an amen? You guys, the problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we don't do what we know. Oh, pray. Pray about everything. Pray some more. But at some point, you got to quit praying. You got to do it. One of the greatest mistakes we can make is we expect God to do something for us that God clearly commanded us to do for him. And I wonder if we're doing that with Matthew 28. I wonder if we're doing that with Matthew 28. What is discipleship? And again, this is just an intro sermon. We're going to go deeper into it. It's, and it's kind of a little corny, but, you know, hopefully it'll stick with you. Discipleship is not a class you take. It's the course of your life. Discipleship is not just a class you take, but the course of your, I'm trying to move you from just knowledge and information and doctrine and theology. It's about the course of, it's what we do with our lives. So a disciple literally means apprentice. <laughs> I used to like that word. Apprentice, learner, a student. And he is our teacher, he is our master. It's a public biblical word. And what are we, listen, discipleship, what are we learning? And write this down if you're taking notes, although don't think that just by taking notes you're doing it, okay? Write this down. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus how Jesus would live my life if he were me. Say that again. A disciple is someone who is learning from Jesus how to lead my life, my life, if Jesus were me. Now, why is that critical? It's not just about how to, learning about how did he lead his life. You know, we study the gospel like, how did Jesus live his life? His life has already been lived. Let me say it again. His life has already been lived. No one else, not even Jesus living, it was a transcendently wonderful life, but nobody else is living. Jesus is interested in your life, your life, your life. How are you leading your life as Jesus would lead your life if he were you. So as an engineer, doctor, mom, nurse, janitor, whatever is doing, of course, you're asking the question. You're asking the question, how would I lead my life as Jesus would lead my life if he were me? You're not just interested in being like him or living his life, but your life. So I'm just going to, Michael Emerson, are you here this morning? Michael Emerson, yes, Michael Emerson, you are a research professor. Here's what Michael, as an apprentice of Jesus, says in terms of how he goes about living his life as a disciple. He says, how do I, as an apprentice of Jesus, check this out, go about the kinds of classes that I teach? And why would I teach them? How would I compose certain tests? And how would I grade it? What kind of research projects would I be doing? You see, are you tracking? Are you tracking? You're asking that fundamental question. How do I go about living my life? Businessman, investment maker. How do, how do I go about investing in things if Jesus were an investment banker? Are you tracking? Well, we'll unpack this more, okay? Discipleship. 
So here's what I want to do. By the way, by the way, real quick. The word disciple. Do you know how many, does anybody know how many times the word Christian is found in all the New Testament? Three times, the word Christian. And the last time is in the book of Acts, and it's referred to the disciples of Jesus, but they can't call them Jews because it's longer a Jewish sect, so they have to figure out another word, the Christian. Does anybody know how many times the word disciple is found in the New Testament? 269 times. 238 of those in the Gospels alone. The New Testament is a book about discipleship for disciples. What I want to do today is I want to lay a big, big, big 30,000 foot perspective. And for the upcoming weeks, we're going to drill down into one of these components each week, okay? And what I want to do is I want to look at a passage in the book of Matthew. And you guys, I just want you, I am literally wary or frightened of, of wanting to say something insightful or cute, because you're going to be like, oh my God, I just want to just, I just want to be just straight up, just, I don't even know what the word is. I'm just going to allow words of Jesus to speak for itself. Can I do that? Can I do that? Okay. Huh? I just, so so, so Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're at. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, okay? And we're going to find out. We're going to find out what Jesus himself, I'm not going to get cute. I'm not going to bring in Greek words and all that. Actually, I'm going to do it one time, but that's just, you know. But, but these other things that we try, what did Jesus say about disciples? Here we go. Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were, what? Fishermen. Next. Come follow me, Jesus said. So here's the first, first thing about disciple and discipleship. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And again, for those of you, and I, I'm so glad that you laugh when I did the whole 20, you know, Sophie and Matthew 20 illustration, because then this will resonate with you. Here's what Jesus did not say what a disciple is. Disciple is not someone who prayed a prayer in summer camp when you were in junior high. Although there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer. Disciple is not someone, listen, listen. Disciple is not someone, okay, who tries to live by the golden rule, do unto others what you would have done unto you. A disciple is someone who is definitely not someone who attends a worship event once a week. A disciple of Jesus is not someone who does justice work. Those are good things. Jesus says, here's what a disciple is. You follow me. And you know what that means? Discipleship is whole life commitment to the whole person of Jesus. Discipleship is whole life commitment to the whole person of Jesus. So church, can I just ask a question humbly? How did we get to a place where discipleship is optional? How did we get to a place where our churches are full of people who don't think you need to be a disciple to be a Christian? I'm just asking, how do we get to this place? And we're just going way back to the old ways. This isn't anything new, old ways. How do we get to a place where Jesus said, here's what the definition is. You follow me, whole life commitment to the whole person of Jesus. And yet, we've relegated it down maybe to, listen, there's a church in the suburbs. I'm not going to mention this name, but it's really, really big. There's lots of churches that are really big, okay? And they did a study called Reveal about 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago maybe. You know what that was? There's tens of thousands of people coming, and the church leadership got together and said, people aren't growing. They're like stuck spiritually. What is happening? So they did this three-year study where they interviewed 6,000 people and did for over three years. And here's what they found out. What they found out was, in a nutshell, I mean, there's other things, but in a nutshell, what they found out was that being a Christian is not about praying a prayer. Being a Christian is not about accepting Jesus into my heart or inviting Jesus into my life. You realize that no such prayer exists in the New Testament. Y'all are like, no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. No, listen, listen, listen. There's no prayer in the, uh, believe on the Lord, and we'll get to that next week. Yeah. And there's not, and that has nothing to do, but invite Jesus into your heart. Accept Jesus. No such prayer is found in the New Testament. 
Do you know why? When you do that, you gut the heart of the gospel. Jesus is not some poor, puny savior looking for anybody's acceptance. He is sovereign Lord worthy of everyone's praise. Listen, I get uncomfortable when people go, I made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I want to go, <clears throat> excuse me, whether you make that decision or not, Jesus is still Lord and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's Lord whether we make the decision to make him our Lord or See, I'm messing with people now, CC. See, I'm messing with them. See, I'm messing with, see, see, now here's the thing. I was a youth pastor for years, and I can't tell you, I, I wept inside, not outside. I wept inside, because I, I went to retreats, revival meetings, and all these junior high school kids that are just emotionally all worked up, and I'd be like, invite Jesus into your heart, and all of them would be like, I invite Jesus into my heart. What I should have done is to say to them, it's not about praying a prayer but it's about wholehearted abandonment and surrender of your entire life. See, these men left everything to follow him. Possessions, their profession, their security, their families, their friends, they live... They left everything to follow him. Jesus would say to these guys constantly, constantly, listen, just in case you didn't get the message in Matthew 4, if anyone does not deny himself and carry that thing and follows me, he said what? You cannot be my, say it with me, disciple. He's constantly saying, and boy, in a, in a culture like ours, the year 2019, the city of Chicago, where you are told every day, that everything revolves around the self, right? Promote yourself, protect yourself, comfort yourself, entertain yourself. The call of Jesus is come and slay yourself. My heart breaks, listen, for what I think are millions of Christians in this country who think that they're Christian. And please hear me. Oh, I'm a, see, when I say that, in no way am I saying I'm better. I'm, I hope you guys know, like, the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is leveled. Nobody stands and looks down at people that are near. We're all, so all I'm simply saying is this is what Jesus said to me and to you. But you know what the weird thing is? Do you see anywhere these guys going, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's so begrudging. They what? Immediately what? Left their nets and followed him. They willingly, gladly, and joyfully said, I will surrender everything to know you, to follow you, to love you, Jesus. And I'm convinced that anybody that understands the beauty of Jesus and life in the kingdom, we don't have to be cajoled, manipulated to follow him. We'll say, take it all. Jesus himself said, Matthew 13, he's talking about the kingdom. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, he went out and sold everything he had and bought the field. Another. Here's a merchant. A merchant. Kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything in the body. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think that merchant was sweating the fact that he had to sell everything to get that pearl? Do you think that businessman was sweating the fact that all oh, that treasure? No, they gladly and willingly did it. Question for you. Have you gladly and willingly said to Jesus, I will follow you? Because you understand the beauty and the power of life in the kingdom. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I will go anywhere with you, Jesus. Because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. I really, really believe in my heart of hearts, church, that we've lost our way. I've lost my way. What happened to this core call of discipleship that says, I will abandon it all gladly for the sake of Jesus and the gospel? So the question is, are you following him? Are you following? I'm not asking if you're a Christian. That, can we just all agree that word Christian has like no meaning in our country today? Are you following him? Can I just, two quick things? You realize if you're following him, you can't, by definition, go faster than the one you're following. 
So who sets the priority in your life? Who sets the agenda in your life? When you talk to me about your three to five year plan and what you're going to do next year, is that you following Jesus or is that you going, no, Jesus? Jesus is not a genie in a bottle and I wish it's not his command. Matter of fact, as you grow in grace, the opposite happens. His commands become our wish. Amen? There's an inviolable principle in the New Testament. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and what? All these things shall be added unto you. Problem is many of us go, give me all them things first. And then I'll follow you. See, maybe the reason why you're sitting there going, this whole Christianity thing ain't working. Maybe the reason why it's not working is because you're not following other thing, though, encouragement? Think about following Jesus. We don't know where we're going a lot of the times, but we know who we're with. Can I get an amen? Jesus never promised a life of security, comfort, and ease. By the way, I'm standing going, am I really preaching this sermon in the year 2019 in the city of Chicago to a bunch of very bright professional people? Yeah, I am. Jesus never promised a life of ease and comfort. All he promised was what? I will be what? With you. Disciple someone who follows you. Secondly, disciple. Let's keep going. Come follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed him. Second definition of disciple is someone who invites others to follow him. And this is where we'll eventually get to. Ah. Oh. From the very get-go, when Jesus calls you and me, he has a purpose in mind. He doesn't look at spectators. He's not thinking of consumers. He's looking for participants in kingdom ministry. Let me say it as strongly as possible. Being a disciple and making disciples go together. From the very beginning, being a follower of Jesus, inviting other followers of Jesus, were inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other. Being a disciple, making disciples are inextricably linked. So the question is, if we're not making disciples, are we disciples? If we're not making disciples, are we disciples? Do you know what I think is the greatest threat to Christianity in this country? It's not atheism, it's not Islam, it's not any other. You know what it is? It's consumerism. It's consumerism. Consumerism, spectator mentality that's infected the church. It's consumer mentality where people go, I don't have to, it costs me nothing, it demands nothing. I, I just come and go as I wish. I'm going to say something very gently and yet firmly, okay? Volunteering and serving one another is not heroic, Volunteering and serving one another is not exceptional. Nobody should applaud you for that. It's the core of discipleship. So how do we get to this place where we have to beg and cajole people to want to serve? How, how do we get here? And you know what, guys? Major conviction right now, because I hear God going, well, you played a big role in that, and I have to repent for that. Do you know what floored me as I've been studying the book of Matthew? Matthew 9. There's this passage in Matthew. Let me just show you something. Matthew 9. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching this, and was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So check this out. Jesus is going around. He is, would you, anybody agree, would you say he was probably the best preacher that ever lived? Yeah. They didn't know it back then, okay? But he was, okay? So here's, he is preaching the best, and he is doing miraculous things. That today is enough to grow a mega church. And it did back then too. Lots of people gathered to hear him. Check this out. So when he saw the what? There are thousands of people who went, wow, what an incredible teacher, preacher. Those miracles, ah. And then I find this, but he had compassion on them. The word compassion comes from the original Greek word splachna, from which you get the English word, oh, see, I did that. See, see what I did there? See what I did there? Y'all going, oh, that was very insightful. Stop it. Explain splachna. In other words, it's, you know, the feeling of, oh, oh, there's this sadness and compassion. I can tell you confession. When I preach an amazing sermon, 
and God worked powerfully, I never for once walked there going, oh. I walked there going, that was pretty good. But Jesus is like, oh, why? Why? Because they, the thousands of you, were harassed and helpless like a sheep without shepherd. Mind blown. But Jesus, you're their shepherd, the best shepherd they will ever have, the greatest sermons. But maybe, maybe, Jesus says, charismatic preachers and miracles were never meant to replace disciples making disciples. Maybe, maybe what Jesus is saying is, all of that, that's coming on. What's going to stay? Is people who will walk with them to help them apply <laughs> internal life. Jesus preached a lot of sermons. People are like, what the heck was he talking about? What was he talking about? Kind of like some of you guys going, well, what did Peter talk about today? I have no idea. What, what, was, what was all that? Jesus is saying, I need people to walk with them to help them internalize, apply what I've taught. Listen to what happened next. Listen to what happened next. Then, then he said to his disciples, the harvest plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. For those of you that grew up in church and know that verse, you always think of it in terms of what? Evangelism. Evangelism, which is great. But context matters. And the context is they just heard the greatest evangelist that ever walked the face of the earth. And Jesus says, my concern is, who's going to disciple them? Who's going to shepherd them? And then Matthew 10, by the way, Bibles didn't have chapters and verses, so this is continuous. Jesus then calls his 12 to him, give them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease, and then he sends the 12 out. Do you see Jesus' methodology? Oh, Lord Jesus. It was his way. For ordinary, regular people. You're sitting there going, but, but I can't. Who is he calling? Who are the, Ruth, he's calling the disciples. Fishermen, ordinary. I had some, I had some goofy pastors try to go, yeah, but they were businessmen. They had business acumen. And they, no, these are uneducated, regular, ordinary fishermen. Were they qualified? Let me ask you a question. They haven't even heard a single sermon yet. How many sermons have you heard in your life? They don't have a Bible in their hands, not the one you have. How many Bibles do you have? And they constantly doubted Jesus, even to the very end. And yet Jesus says to them, you, and that was his way. You'll see next week, the initial church in Acts, <laughs> book of Acts, church of Antioch, descending missionary church. Do you know who founded the church? The Bible literally says, and some of them. They don't even name them. And what's happened to us? I'm going to say something. and I, I think that making disciples is a natural outflow of being a disciple. Just like proclaiming the love of God is a natural outflow of sharing in the life of God. When God's on your mind, he comes out of your mouth. But if we're not making disciples, the question is, are we being? Being. Disciples. Wow. Last thing about disciples. Matthew, Mark chapter 4. So going from there, he saw the other two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and followed him. The third, some of you, and this is where we're going to end eventually in a few weeks, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in community. He doesn't call individuals. He says them. He's constantly calling people as a community. Acts chapter 17. Be shepherds of the people of God that Christ purchased with his blood. You need to understand something. Jesus doesn't just save individuals. He saves a people for his kingdom. Why is that important? 
Because when we think about community, most of us think about what it benefits us. How does it benefit me? How does it benefit you? Encouragement, all that, which are phenomenal things. But do you know that Jesus explicitly ties living in community with being a disciple? Living in community with being a disciple. Living in community with being a disciple. It's a very familiar passage. John chapter 13. He says, the new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must what? Love one another. Next passage. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you what? Love one another. The characteristic attribute of a disciple is not theological acumen. It's not justice work. It's not those are good things. The, the, the attribute of a disciple is what? That you love one another. So feel the weight of this question. How do you love one another by yourself? How do you love one another dropping in on Sundays? How do you and I obey one of the 70 some other one another, accept, encourage, confess one another? How do we obey any of these one another commands by ourselves? We can't. We won't. And Jesus is the place where discipleship is lived out. It's not just out in the world, although it's amazing. It's do you love one another, which again then reminds me why we shun discipleship or community. It's because loving somebody is inconvenient. It's messy. It's costly, isn't it? Listen, Christianity is easy without people. You'd be the best Christian in the world if you didn't have to interact with anybody. I would be too. But Jesus says, disciples in community love one another and learn how to be loved in process. And some of y'all, this is, it's not just about loving somebody. The thing that's keeping you from growing and being healed is refusing to allow yourself to be loved in community. Listen, let me just, I'm almost done. This series is so personal for me because for most of my life in ministry, I thought ministry was about you preach great sermons, be insightful. So the more people were like, oh, that was incredible. I just thought, okay, that's how people are changed. That's how people grow. And I just did that. And I did that, and I did that for, for years, for years. And I lost my way. And our church in some ways lost our way. But you know that that wasn't how it always was. Do you know that our church began with 10 people? And do you think they sat around and I did this to them every Sunday? <laughs> there would be no new community around if I did that. You know what I did with them? Honestly, I did life on life with them. I walked with them, ate with them, went on trips together, shared life, and whatever I was learning from Jesus, teaching them. This is all I did with these group of 10. And then it grew to 50, and then it grew, and then it grew, and then it grew, and then it grew. And somewhere along the way, I just thought, you know what? I just need to preach well. And as they learn and get insights and theological, ooh, they're going to grow. And then I was just like, whoa. And then God wrecked me. Do you know there's a good way that God wrecks you? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God wrecked me, and he wrecked me with Matthew 16 when Jesus says to Peter, of course, it's got to be Peter. I say unto you that you're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. The promise of Jesus, please get this, is that he will build the church. That's his job. He changes people. He causes growth. He can do that. Only he can do that. Amen? Our job is to what? Make disciples. But somewhere along the way, that first for me became Jesus. I will build my church, and I need you to make disciples. <sighs> the problem is, if you make disciples, you eventually have a church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. You guys... Literally, do you know what this means for me? I'm questioning everything. Ask the staff. They're, they're worried about me. They're like, He's, is he going to be okay? Because I'm, I'm questioning everything. He's like, should I even preach? 
Should I even do this? Because if I'm basically nurturing and fostering the American Christianity, people just go, ah, oh, preach to me. I'll sing some songs. If this, I literally, I am right now at a place, I'm like, if my preaching is do more harm than good, I'm going to walk away. Not from you, not from you, not from you, not from church, but preaching. Because I hear God saying this. I hear God going, who are the men and women in your life that you are doing intentional, one-on-one life discipleship with? And if you do not have them in your life, you are not fulfilling the main thing I called you to do. Who are the men and women in your life? I don't want new community to be a Sunday church. Can I get an amen? I don't want new community to be a place where we're doing lots of good things, but not doing the one thing he asked us to do because we're so busy in religious activity. I want this to be a place where everyone realizes you are a prophet, priest, and king endowed with the Spirit to go make disciples. And in the process, some of you who've been stuck spiritually forever will actually begin to grow. Because the only way you'll grow is when you help others grow. Let me end with this. Cece, come on up. Do you know, do you know the Great Commission doesn't begin in verse 18? You're going, well, I knew that, of course. I even know that in, I even know that in Greek, man. Do you know how this commission begins? Listen, this commission begins, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What are they doubting about? Throughout the gospels, some doubting about Jesus. Is he the son of God identity? This isn't that. How do I know? Jesus already appeared to them three times. This is the fourth time he's appearing to them. John 20, in the upper room to the disciples. And another time, because some dude named Thomas wasn't there, and he was called a doubting Thomas, blah, blah, blah. So he appears to Thomas. And then John 21, Jesus with Peter and the disciples along the Sea of Galilee. This is the fourth time. They're not doubting Jesus and what he can do. Who, who are they doubting? Say it. Who are they doubting? Because we're doubt literally means to waver or to be hesitant about a course of action. You know what I think? I think they're doubting themselves. I think they're going, can we do this? Like some of you. Can I, can I do this? Can I, me, Peter Hong, can I actually, I don't even know anybody right now. Can I actually, what if, what, if, what if they ask a question? I don't know what to say. What if, what if, can I actually do this? And Jesus moves from fear to faith. And he says, don't focus on you, focus on me. Because the very next thing that he says is what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given what? To me. He's saying, are you kidding, disciples? When I go, I'm going to come back and I just walk with you. I'm going to live inside of you. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power, that's in you. And when you stand before the leaders and the government leaders, you will not be afraid. When you walk the road of the unknown and uncertain, you shall not fear. Why? Because I am what? With you to the very end.